Welcome to Bible study. This is Len acting as the extra host today because Nick is not feeling particularly well. And I trust that this study is going to be of benefit to you as we study the topic Desire of Nations. But before this, I'd like to introduce the team. And we have Lydia. Would you like to uh, let people know through your voice, Lydia? Yes, thank you very much. I'm here and I'm I feel very grateful to be part of the panel of Bible study. Oh, yes. And then we have Helen. Thank you, Len. It's a delight to be here and really looking forward to this wonderful study about the desire of the nation. And the third of our ladies this morning is Jo. Welcome, Jo. Thank you, Len. It's uh, always good to be together as a group. Look forward to it. And Brenton, down in the deep south where the internet connection is quite unstable. Welcome, Brenton. It's good to be able to share together while it's stable. Thank you, Len. And our facilitator today is Ken. Welcome, Ken, and over to you. Thank you, Len. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another study of the amazing book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the son of Amos, seems to have come from a well-to-do and respected Jerusalemite family. Not only is his father's name recorded, but he enjoyed intimate relationships with the royal family and officials of the government. He may have begun to his prophetic ministry in the latter end of Uzziah's reign, as he records the year Uzziah's death around 740 BC. At the time when he received a special anointing commission from God in the temple, chapter 6, he was told to preach boldly a warning message against his people for their sinful ways and call the nation to repentance and information, uh, reformation. He was hated by King Ahaz, but respected by King Hezekiah, who nevertheless disregarded his warnings against an alliance with Egypt. It is thought he was killed around 680 BC by Hezekiah's brutal son, King Mazes. So today we're going to look at the desire of nations receiving God's blessings. But before we start, I'm going to ask Joe to open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to open your word, to study from it in the freedom of this wonderful country. We pray that your Holy Spirit may be present and open our minds and hearts to receive what you have for us, prepared for us today, Lord. We also pray that um, you'll be with uh, anyone who might be tuning in, that you'll touch their hearts, and may they be uplifted and blessed by our discussion, we pray this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Leon, I'm going to get you to kick it off today with Isaiah 59, verses 1 to 2. Okay, well, we're working our way almost to the end of Isaiah. And chapter 59, verse 1 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. And then, in my version, there's a but. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, this verse, or these two verses, start out 
with um, the prophecy given by God to Isaiah. It says, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, and he can hear you. In other words, God is willing. God is able to save. But your iniquities have separated you from your God so that he appears to be non-existent to you. Helen, you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I, I think we need to also refer to this day in our own lives, you know, because I believe that the arm of the Lord has not grown tired over time. You know, the Messiah's ability to save is still as strong as ever, and nor has the Lord become deaf to his people. It is our continued sinfulness that blocks the power of God. The Lord only wants us to, he only wants to empower us to save us and that we may serve him. He will not empower us though if we rebel against him. Ben? Yes, I've mentioned this on air before. A husband and wife were traveling along in their car one day and the wife was reminiscing about the time when they first got to know each other. And she said, do you remember, dear, when we were first courting that I used to sit right next to you and we would cuddle as we were traveling along? And he said, I haven't moved. And this is the situation with God. God hasn't moved. God is willing to save anybody. But uh, when we are sinful, we separate ourselves from God. And um, just like the man and the woman in the car, she was sitting on the left side and he was driving the car as he had been when they first got to know each other. God hasn't moved. God is willing to save now as he was back then. Jill, you had something to add? Yes, actually. Uh, I just wonder if it might help us to understand the separation. God is always with us. He, uh, but we sense his presence less when we separate ourselves from him. We separate um, ourselves from the blessing of God and fellowship with God. And I guess an example of that in scripture would be the prodigal son. You know, he left his father's presence, got himself into all sorts of trouble. But did the father ever stop loving that son? No, he he day after day went out expecting, hoping, waiting that he would return. And so God doesn't stop us, doesn't stop loving us just because we have um, turned aside or haven't, we don't even know him yet, perhaps. So he is there, he loves everyone, but it's only our iniquities, our sinfulness um, that obscures him from our vision. Anton, you had a word? Yes, just, just quickly, um, Matthew 9 answers this um, Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2 quite well. It's the story of the paralytic who was let down through the roof in front of Jesus. Now, what the paralytic actually needed was not just physical healing, it was spiritual healing. The first thing that Jesus said to him is, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, when it says, and Helen mentioned it, that God's arm is not too short in 2021, it isn't. It wasn't short back here. And the Messiah had to come in order to demonstrate that God's arm is not too short to save. 
So um, what you had in the story of Matthew 9 is, first of all, spiritual healing, followed by physical healing. And I found that very, very interesting because what happened right back at the beginning is not only did Adam and Eve begin to die, but also they lost that connection with God. But we're going to get to that in a minute. I just thought that that was a very good response to, um, but your sins have hidden you. Here you find in Matthew 9 that God takes the initiative and goes after the sinner rather than the sinner going after God. That's very good. Here we see God chooses to ignore his people, not because that it is his desire, but because our iniquities have been barriers between God and us, as it says in Isaiah 59, verse 2. Here is one of the clearest statements in the Bible regarding the effect of sin on the divine human relationship. Isaiah spends the rest of the chapter 59 elaborating on this point, which is seen all through human history. Sin can destroy our relationship with the Lord and thus lead to our eternal ruin, not because sin drives God away from us, but because it drives us away from God. Brenton, would you like to tell us what's going on in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8? Certainly, uh, Ken. It says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All right, why did they hide themselves? It wasn't modesty and it wasn't shyness. They hid themselves from God because the very first thing that they received when they touched the fruit and ate it was a sense of guilt. Now, Satan, speaking through the serpent, had said earlier on that you will know good from evil. And he was right in the sense that now they experienced a dimension that they had never experienced before. Can you imagine living in a world, Ken, where there is no guilt, where people don't feel guilt? We don't know what that's like. Um, we only know what it's like through accepting Christ's sacrifice that can take away the guilt that we feel. And um, so there's two things here. They heard the sound of the, the Lord God working in the, walking in the garden. And the second thing is they hid. As a response of hearing, they hid. So not only did they physically not want to meet God, which they were, um, had been used to doing every evening when God came down to walk with them. Can you imagine back in heaven when we get to heaven, when we can walk and talk with our creator? They are now fleeing from their creator. They're hiding. So they didn't want to physically face him and they didn't want to spiritually be connected to him because the first thing that sin had done was produce a barrier not just a physical barrier, but I believe a spiritual barrier and also a communication barrier, that they no longer wanted to talk to God. They no longer wanted to hear what God had to say. And um, the rest of the chapter is very sad commentary on what we're facing today in 2021. The application I see, Ken, is that God, through Christ, has restored that communication between heaven and earth. We have it through prayer. We have it through the Bible. We have it through, believe it or not, other people. We can see God in other people and how God is working in their lives. And I, I think this is, um, it's sad, but um, it also indicates that sin no longer, because of Christ, is the impenetrable barrier that it was before. Through Christ, 
we now have a reconciliation with God. We can have communication with God through Jesus. I think that's wonderful. Ellen, you've got something to add? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to just mention, you know, the first part is the Lord God walking in the garden. So for me, the verses show God's desire um, to have fellowship with us. Yes. He made the first move. They also show why we we're afraid to have fellowship with him because Adam and Eve hid from God when they heard him approaching. And God, as Brenton said, God wanted to be with them, but because of their sin, they were afraid to show themselves. And sin had broken that close relationship with God just as it has broken ours. But Jesus Christ, God's son, as Brendan says, we have hope. It opens the way for us to renew our fellowship with him. And God longs to be with us. He actively offers us his unconditional love. And our natural response is fear because we feel we can't live up to his standards. But understanding that he loves us regardless of our faults can help remove that dread. Then you had something to say it's very interesting that built into the psyche of mankind is this fear of being discovered to have done wrong. And therefore, the necessity to hide. Now, um, it might even go down to little things like this. And I was at school if I had a, a lolly and I never had lollies too much, but if I had one, I would try to um, ingest that lolly so that the teacher wouldn't notice. And this highlights what happens. It's just a built-in reaction with mankind. When we do wrong, we don't want to be discovered unless somebody is so blatant they couldn't care less. But generally, there is this voice of conscience and when people deny that conscience they want to hide and Adam and Eve hid and people have been hiding ever since I mean most crimes are committed at night time that's an interesting one Glenn no was it just a few people who sinned and is still with and is sin still with us today Jill would you like to read Romans for us Yes, it's, uh, I'll just read a little bit before and, um, and verse 24 of Romans 3. It says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We have all fallen. We have all come short. And I like the way that it pre- there's no difference between Jew and Gentile unless either party feel special, but it also offers the solution and it says that all are justified freely, freely by his grace. It's very encouraging. That's very clear. This is such an important message. Sin separates us from God. It stops the connection, blessings and the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is interesting to understand that sin does not separate God from us, but us from God. Sin is a rejection of God. What can we do if we feel we have sinned? What does the Bible tell us? Helen, would you like to explain that one for us? 
Oh, I'd love to. There's a fabulous promise, a fabulous text. In fact, many of my friends have heard me quote it. It's from 1 John 1 verse 9. It gives me such hope. And it's it's actually, I believe it was written um, to bring up the false teachers that were, that were actually attacking um, different people with their tendencies about sin and about forgiveness. And here in 1 John 1 verse 9, we're told, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I may just take a moment just to to break that up a bit. The little word if, we have a choice, and it says if we, we do what? There is something we need to do. We need to confess our sins. Now, even though we have come to the Lord, we have accepted him in our life, because of sin in our life, we still stumble and fall. But here we're told that if we confess it, he, meaning, of course, God, Jesus, the Godhead, is faithful and just to what? Forgive. To forgive us our sins. And the bit I like is not only is he going to forgive us, he's going to cleanse us, not from some unrighteousness, but from all unrighteousness. You know, that just blows my mind, Ken, when I think of it. But there is another side to it. I think we need to pay attention to it. It's in Psalm 66, 18, and it says, Those who cherish their sins should not expect the Lord to respond to their prayers. So we need to come with a clean heart. We need to have the right attitude. Our motives need to be such that we love the Lord and we want to serve him. And we are so grateful that he is willing to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, what an amazing statement from God's word. God will forgive everyone who sins if, as Helen has said, we come to him and confess our sin to him. We don't have to beat ourselves, pay money to churches, ask for weeks or any other painful duties. Just confess with your lips to God your sins and he will remove them from the book of your life. Ben, would you like to tell us a bit more here in Isaiah? All right. Well, I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3, which says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now, I guess people who hear this for the first time or read it for the first time are wondering what on earth is this talking about? Well, light actually means knowledge. It also means a knowledge of God and his goodness. But it's interesting where it says, arise, shine, for your light has come. In other words, if it's talking to the people, it's saying they have to shine. They have to bear the light. But what's the source of that light? Well, as we understand it, this is the Messiah, Jesus, the desire of nations that we're talking about. Jesus himself said when he was here on the earth 
you can read this in John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew 5, verse 14, he says, you, meaning his followers, are the light of the world. So the light, the knowledge of salvation, comes from God through Jesus, and then it is to be transmitted by his people. I think that probably explains it fairly well. Thank you. Brenton, you wanted to add something? Yes, yes. Len's touched on a very good point there. Uh, God's original plan for Israel is that they be his light, not only um, amongst um, the area in which they are living, but that they actually be reflected light. We've always got to remember that Matthew 5, where it talks about you are the light of the world, we are only reflected light. We are not the light. We are reflected light. However, um, I was reminded, and as soon as Len started talking, I went to 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 10. It's the story of the Queen of Sheba who came to see Solomon. Now, this is what she says in verse 10 of the same chapter. chapter. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Notice those two words, justice and righteousness. How frequently can in our studies this <laughs> over the last few weeks has the term justice come up? Um, equal, equal justice for everybody and righteousness. Um, here's the Queen of Sheba saying, you've blown my mind. I can't believe that your Lord, the Lord your God has blessed you to such a degree. It's known as the golden era of Israel the period of David and Solomon. And it's a pity that it didn't continue because we know that later on Solomon transgressed. But this just gives you an inkling of what God, I believe, wants us to be in 2021. He wants us to be reflected light. He wants our, his character to be reflected in all of our activities, business, social, spiritual, and every other aspect of life. That, I believe, is what will draw people to the Saviour. Helen, you had something to add? Yeah, I, I just wanted to go back to, into verse 1 that Len read out. I arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. To me, that is very personal. You know, when you think of it, it says, arise for thy light, your light has come. Yeah. You know, and it says, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And Isaiah then goes on to to describe, um, as, as mentioned, the the victories that they've had, and and I don't think anybody realizes the scope of Jesus the Messiah, his victory. You know, it's it's just so amazing when you think of it. The 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 cha- the, the Isaiah pointing out that Satan is utterly defeated. God is the Holy One of Israel, and um, I just find that very, very interesting, you know, when when the Lord shall rise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. I think of Moses and the glory of the Lord shining through him. But I don't just think of that. I think of um, the demons, you know, when one demon saw Jesus, you might remember he cried out, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He recognized 
he recognized God shining through him. You know, an entire legion of, of demons cried, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? They weren't being defeatists. They knew full well that they were lost and they were lost. Their hope was was through Christ. He was the one that was to shine and, and to shine in our life, you know. Um, and And unfortunately, the nation of Israel let down. But I thought it was just so great when it says the darkness shall cover the earth, the gross darkness of people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and the glory shall be seen in thee. The Gentiles shall come to the light, the kings to the brightness of thy rising. His redemption and his redemption alone brings light. And Isaiah 2.5, we learned back then that we are to walk in his light. You know, that his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we told in Matthew five sixteen, I think it was mentioned, let our light shine. We don't we're not the light, we are a reflection of that light. And at the end, the final ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah sixty, um, we can read in, in Revelation where it's a new Jerusalem. There won't be any need for light. There'll be no sun, no moon, because the glory of the Lord gives it light. Joe, you had something to add? Yes, by admonishing us to arise and shine for thy light is come, it implies it implies that there's been a, a, a drowsy, a dropping off and falling asleep. You know, people have been lulled into some sort of snooze and it calls for Christians to, to throw off their lethargy and wake up from the drowsiness that they'd had allowed themselves to fall into. Absolutely. And it reminds me. It reminds me of the uh, the five virgins, the uh, wise ones, the five wise bridesmaids who had also dozed off, fallen asleep, not let their light shine, their lamps had gone out, and then in all the darkness they hear a voice and, of course, they quickly trim their lamps. And I think this is something akin to that is to arise, shine, your light has come, the bridegroom is coming and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee, you know. Because when, when we aren't connecting to God, I guess it's one less channel of light that flows to a world. And, and if the light goes out, what happens? The darkness, the fog comes in it obscures God from the world. So I guess we are here encouraged to, to shine. Wake up, wake up. Yeah. Well, I think you have all answered that one very well indeed. You can see it was Israel here that God was originally talking about and, uh, it wasn't just Israel back in those days, Christians today, that our light has to shine. See, Israel failed to understand God's plan and purpose for their lives. Why did God resolve this, Leecha? Would you like to look at John 1 for us? Yes, uh, um, in John chapter 1, verse 14, we have a promise here, and also it's a prophecy. And the word became fleshed and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here it's about Jesus. Jesus was the word at the beginning. So in verse 1 also it says, the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word is Jesus. He became flesh and he uh, lived among us as an example. He was the shining light. And as 
we look at him and receive that light, we will be able to shine to others his light of love. Thank you, Lynn. It's interesting that there was a about a millennium of the Earth's history, which has been called the Dark Ages. And it was called that because people were basically kept in ignorance about God. And when, when the um, Protestant Reformation began, that um, dark veil that existed over the world for that thousand years or so was lifted. The knowledge of God, uh, as preached through Protestantism, was lifted and the world became a much different place after that. So this is very interesting how that Christianity has had an effect right over the world. And that was because Jesus came and gave us the Bible. When the Bible was opened up to the people, the people's minds were opened up. Thank you. So we see here in John chapter 1, verse 14, that this is Jesus John is talking about. But how does this prophecy apply to us today? Brent, would you like to talk with that one? Yeah, thank you, Ken. Uh, I will comment on it briefly. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and give it light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Some rather interesting points in here, and I'm going to, by way of comparison, read in a second Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, because I believe it's complementary to what we've got here. Jesus is saying here that we are not to be shy, so to speak, spiritually shy about our light. But here's something to think about, Ken. The Pharisees were very good at parading their goodness before everybody else. And uh, Jesus actually made some interesting comments. He said, verily, they have their reward in full. Um, what The difference between what Christ is talking about here, I believe, and what the Pharisees were doing is that when men see our good works, they recognise that it's not coming from us. They recognise that it's coming from God. Whereas uh, the priests and rulers had them deceived into thinking that they were such holy and pure people that um, they deceived the people that way. But God said, I know what your hearts are like. And I know that <laughs> this is all, it's all performance. It's all, it's all a show to be seen before men. But when you go to Acts 4.13, it says this, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realised that they had been with Jesus. So letting your light so, show, um, so shine, I don't believe is directly related to your degree of um, educational qualifications. It's related to the time that you spend with your Lord in prayer, in reading his word, and getting to know him personally. Because the, the, the contrast between the Pharisees and what you see here is marked. It's quite stark. They took note of them and they marvelled 
that they had been with Jesus. That's what it means when it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People today desperately need to see God's love reflected through us. And we always need to remember we are just the medium through whom God reflects his love to others. Thank you, Joe. You have something to add? Yes. Brenton mentioned that uh, the Jews were good at parading their goodness. Um, They were good at parading their confessions as well, as we remember from the incident at, at the temple. You know, thank God that I'm not like this sinner over there. And um, so because they were so good at parading their, their, their goodness, their repentance and all that, we know that Joel says that we are to rend our hearts and not our garments and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and so forth. And so it's important that we are genuine in our repentance as well. You know, if we are to shine for Christ, we can't have a pretend sort of relationship, a pretend uh, confession to Christ, um, confessing of our sins, because, you know, if it's not genuine, we can't be genuine lights. We can't be genuinely fulfilling what it's admonishing us. It says um, that was our purpose was to, to let your light, you know, you are the light of the world, you know, that we are to shine before men. And so in order for us to fulfill our intended purpose, we need to be genuine about, you know, genuine about our Christianity and our walk with God rather than, as Brenton put it, you know, parading our goodness, pretending that we're repenting and that we're sorry for sin and not allowing Christ to change us because then, you know, we're, we're not the light that we ought to be. Thank you. We're now going to look at proclaiming the year of the Lord. And, Joe, you're going to tell us about that one in Isaiah 61 and verse 1 to 3. Yes, I'm just going to read it to you because it speaks for itself, Ken. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Thank you. And Helen, you're going to look at uh, Luke Chapter 4 and verse 19 to 21. Yeah, just um, quickly, it read, virtually says almost the same. It said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. I found it interesting that the very part that he actually left out when Jesus was standing in front of uh, in the synagogue, he actually used the words, um, he finished, sorry, he finished on the words, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And I think we're going to talk about that in in just a moment. But 
You know, I thought it was interesting. I read a note that said, while his ministry of good news, liberty and comfort was beginning to set captives free from Satan's tyranny, the day of vengeance was not yet was not yet to come. And therefore he left it out. Plus they were very judgmental people. But if I may just share with you a quote from one of my favorite writers, Ellen White in The Desire of Ages. She says, Jesus stood before the people as a living expositor of the prophecies concerning himself. Can you just see him standing there explaining the words he had read? He spoke of the Messiah as a reliever of the oppressed, liberator of captives, a healer of the afflicted, restoring sight to the blind, revealing to the world the light of truth. And his impressive manner and the wonderful import of his words thrilled the hearers with a power they had never felt before. The tide of divine influence broke every barrier down, and like Moses, they beheld the invisible. As their hearts were moved upon by the Holy Spirit, they responded with fervent amen and praises to the Lord. And should we not respond that way as well? Last week, I referred to this particular passage and I said something that was wrong. I said that this was what Jesus said in the synagogue at Bethlehem. And for the sake of listeners, um, sometimes we do say things wrong. It, It wasn't Bethlehem, it was Nazareth. So please accept my apologies for that. That's all right, Len. We, we won't keep you back in detention today. <laughs> Thank you. This, of course, was Jesus we're talking about here. But what is the acceptable year of the Lord, also known as the Jubilee year? Benton, would you like to help us on that one in Leviticus 25 and verse 10? Well, it's primarily talking about um, the transactions of property Actually, um, the Jubilee year, I did a bit of study on it, but it says, And ye shall hallow the 50th year, and proclaim it throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a Jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. Um, What can I say about it? Well, whilst it... The issue of the year of Jubilee back in Bible times was primarily associated was, was primarily associated with um, property transactions and the return of property owned by the family who may have lost it as a result of various factors, financial uh, maladjustments or whatever. I, I see the gospel actually in here because when the earth is made new again, um, Ken, when we are here on this earth, made into its pre-Edenic state, what it was like back in Eden, um, we will in fact fulfil what is said here. We will be in possession of our home. Our home ultimately, whilst it's in heaven initially, ultimately our home will return to this earth again that God originally gave to Adam and Eve. And I think that's really good news because at the moment we're told in the Bible that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. So each of us on this panel and those who are listening who follow the Lord can consider themselves strangers and pilgrims. It's almost as though we live in a world that we don't actually know. I'm talking about no morally, no spiritually, even though physically sometimes. 
But when this earth is renewed again and the 50th year is over and each person returns to his own property, I, I see a spiritual application there. I see the spiritual application that we will then live in the, the land that God had prepared for us initially before sin began. And I think that's fantastic news. Is the year of the Jubilee tied in with salvation? Would you like to look at that one for us in Isaiah 61, verses 10 to 11? We read, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. So the Lord God uh, covers his children with the robe of righteousness, of Jesus' righteousness, and he prepares uh, his people like a, a bride, which it says here, with all the ornaments as, as the bride wears. Uh, so Jesus' clothes of righteousness covers us of all sins and makes us right to, uh, in front of, of God to be received. We have talked about sin and forgiveness, but we now have to look at God's response to those who reject the free gift of Jesus. Len, would you like to read Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 to 14 for us? Yes, this is a very interesting chapter um, because the disciples one day came to Jesus and they said to him, because Jesus had uh, told them that he was going to be killed and so on. They said, tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? It was a double-barreled question. The sign of Christ's coming and the end of the world and the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and shall deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you're not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not uh, not yet. And then Jesus outlined various signs prior to the end of the world. He spoke about Uh, nations rising against nations. He spoke about famines and pestilences. Well, we're in the middle of a pestilence right now. This COVID-19 is a pestilence. And there'll be earthquakes in diverse places or different places. And these are the beginning of sorrows, he said. And then he spoke about social conditions He said, they, the worldly people, will deliver you, meaning God's people, up to be afflicted and kill you, to be hated, and uh, many people will be offended, betray each other, and um, 
false prophets rising and iniquity abounding. Well, we can see that around these days. And the love of people will grow cold. And then he spoke about the end, that the end is coming and where God will separate those who are honouring and serving him, who've accepted the sacrifice that was made for their sins and those who are not. Now, with all this, some people think that as soon as you commit your life to Christ, you are judged. Well, that's right in a certain way. But God has a judgment time set before the end of the world. And when people have all been judged, it's only then Christ will come. He says in Revelation 22, he says, I bring my reward with me. Those who are uh, unjust will remain unjust and those who are righteous will remain righteous. So there is a judgment coming. The only thing is, which side of the judgment will you be? I think us as a panel have made our decisions to serve God, be faithful to him. We have nothing to fear. But those, of course, who've rejected God will lose their lives for eternity. Thank you, Liam. God's word is amazing. He tells us all that is going to happen before it comes to pass. Joe, would you like to read uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 30, 31 for us? It says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? But clearly, we're not going to miss it. Well, that was a really interesting verse that Joel read. Panel, would you have some interesting messages of hope for people listening today? Well, I think really the whole thing that we've been talking today is a message of hope. Because if the Messiah had not come, there would be no hope for anybody. We would have to remain in our sins. But the fact is that Jesus did come in order to change that situation, to forgive us our sins and to return to a right relationship with God. And that relationship, of course, carries with it a responsibility. That responsibility is to both demonstrate and teach the things of God. Let our light so shine before men, they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Peter? We read in Isaiah uh, that the, the day of vengeance of our God will come. Uh, and the day of the fierceness of his wrath. So it's pretty scary stuff. Who will abide the day of his coming? Because men have hardened their hearts against the the spirit of God and uh, um, the arrows of his wrath will pierce where he 
his arrows of convic- conviction with, uh, could not. But the problem is that when we read before that um, God is there to forgive everyone who will confess their sins. So this is a, a conditioned promise if we will confess our sins. So we have, we have to open our hearts to God to confess, to tell God everything that we, we've done wrong. So if we open our hearts to God, he is able to forgive our sins. That's the only condition that we will be, we will be forgiven and that we will uh, take, uh, oath with God that we will never repeat these sins again. Because if we will repeat our sins again and again and again, so I'm, 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 do, I'm sinning again, the same sins. I feel sorry. I come to God and I confess and tomorrow I will repeat again and the day after tomorrow I will repeat again. Jesus promised that through his blood, we will be forgiven. Sorry, Helen, do you something to add? Yeah, I'd just like to go back, if I may, to the text that Joe jo read out from Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sounds pretty scary, but just when we read the day of the Lord, I believe it's, it's there to show us God's, God has an appointed time to judge the nations. And judgment and mercy go hand in hand. And Joel had said that, he said a little bit later, he said, if the people had repented, the Lord would save them from judgment. And in this day of judgment and catastrophe, therefore some will be saved. But God's intention is not to destroy, but to heal and to save. But we must accept his salvation or we will certainly perish with the unrepented. You know, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'd like to suggest that's a great promise for us to think about. Well, just before we finish with the summary and prayer, I'd like to add also one very important thing, I believe. Irrespective of what your sins are, God is willing to forgive you. Sometimes people have done things that they're totally ashamed of and think God will never forgive me for this. But God clearly states that he is willing to give anyone any sin as long as they come and confess before him. Well, I believe as we look around the world today, the warning signs that Jesus spoke of are everywhere. Now, there are many other things taking place that the Bible talks about just before the return of Jesus, but we do not have the time today to look at these. But we can be sure God's judgment is coming. Christians all over the world know the return of Jesus is coming soon. What should we as Christians be doing to warn people that time is running out very fast? Probation, the opportunity to accept Jesus is about to close forever. There will be no more time given. Today is the acceptable time to give Jesus your heart and have your sins forgiven. God is calling out to every soul in this world. He has told us this gospel will be preached to all the world. Then the end will come like a thief in the night. Well, listeners, that's a very clear statement Jesus has told us in the gospel. Panel, would you like to add any brief comments on that? Basically, there's there's an interesting comment here, um, Ken, 
Number one, uh, we started out our study for today with talking about the fact that God would not hear us because of our iniquities. Then we discovered that um, Jesus came to take away that barrier so that God would hear us. I think um, I'd like to read something, um, Ken, just briefly from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. What I take from those verses is that God is both protective of us and if we will daily surrender ourselves to him, uh, Ligia made a point about sin. Now, sin is not a case just of constantly doing the wrong thing. Sin is an attitude. We need to ask for a new heart and a new mind each day. Each day when you get up, we're to consecrate ourselves to God in the morning and make that our very first work. Give God our plans and just tell him what we're planning to do and ask him if he will help us to do what he wants us to do. I think the closer you come to the Lord, the deeper you actually see your sinfulness to be. I'm finding that in my own life, the closer I come to God, the more I realise that I'm not a very good person at all. Whatever I may have thought of myself before, I'm not actually a good person. I'm actually riddled with a cancer known as sin and I need to be cleansed day by day. And I believe this lesson brings out very clearly that there is hope, that there is First John 1, 9 that Helen read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to give them, but he also wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a takeaway message for our listeners. You can have that peace, you can have that cleansing, you can have that forgiveness if you confess your sins to God, he not only will forgive them, but he'll also cleanse you as well. Thank you, Brenton. Any other quick, brief comments? I, I guess I have um, a comment, but it's probably not directly related to everything that's been said. Uh, my comment goes back to when Jesus quoted from Isaiah and, um, and said that this was... Uh, you know, come to bind up the brokenhearted, so forth, so forth, uh, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Um, and then, of course, he left out the day of the vengeance of our God. And we, we didn't really touch on why would he leave that out. Um, we didn't kind of develop it. And I've been thinking about it and wondered what it would have meant to the hearers had he also completed that text, whether they would have thought that um, this was our chance to overthrow the Roman Empire, you know, by leaving out the day of the vengeance of our God, he may have not wanted to incite their hopes of an overthrow of the Roman Empire and vengeance on all their enemies and Israel as the superpower. Um, and then the hearers might have thought that this was part of his ministry, you see, yeah. and could have completely derailed it because that was not what he was there for. He was there as a suffering servant. Um, but another point is that it also shows that even within a verse, a thousand, well, thousands of years could separate the first portion from the next portion. And it shows to me that we need to take the whole of Scripture 
to interpret rather than the context alone. So we need to know the whole, look at the big picture in order to interpret the text rather than just look at the immediate context. So I think, yeah, that's kind of not really relevant to everything that's been said in closing comments, but it was something that kind of struck home for me when I was reading that text and considered that. Thank you, Len. You're going to finish with a prayer? Yes. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word and discover the treasures therein. And one of those treasures is that although we have all sinned and come short of your glory, you have made remedy for the situation if we are willing. Pray, Lord, that uh, we will always be willing to accept your grace and to live in such a way that we will demonstrate your grace to others. And I pray this on behalf of us, the panel, and on behalf of our listeners, on whom we invite your blessings today. These things we pray in and through the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us today, listeners, and we trust that you will join us again next week. Uh, where we will be studying a very interesting subject called rebirth of planet Earth. Well, if there's any planet that needs rebirthing, it's this one. So tune in and join us again next week and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.